Good morning, everybody. I want to take a few moments, and I want to ask that we would together uh, commit to um, just a silent reflection, uh, prayer, um, stillness, no agenda, just wherever it is that you are at today and however it is that the Spirit may lead. So would you take that moment with me? I don't know about you, but if I had my druthers, I could do that for a long time today. I won't. Why does that feel so uncomfortable? Why does that, uh, why does stillness, uh, and certainly in these moments, feel so foreign? It shouldn't feel that way, should it? But yet it does. I think it's good for us to do that, especially uh, on the 26th, where we tend to have a Christmas hangover. <clears throat> some of us have eaten a little bit too much. Some of us have been around people a little bit too much. And uh, we're here today on this uh, December 26th, 2021. Merry Christmas, everybody. It's good to see all of you. It's good to be seen by those of you joining with us virtually. Uh, first of all, I, I want to say thank you so much to uh, John Sanquist and uh, the worship team, Tim and Annette and Mary and Diane. They um, were here Thursday night rehearsing, preparing for our Christmas Eve service, and then obviously leading us in that service, and then again here this morning. Uh, would you give them a thankful round of applause, just as a means of encouragement. Thank you so much. So many fantastic uh, people that are a part of our church, brothers and sisters in Christ, who uh, pour out so much of their gifts and their talents. Uh, it's just a blessing. Uh, we also want to uh, continue to, to be courageously generous going into the end of this year. Uh, year in giving is a, is a big deal. And so uh, as you continue to prayerfully consider what that might mean for you, let's finish strong as a church. God's got so much in store for us here at North Haven. I can't wait to see uh, not only how it is that uh, he's going to continue to finish up this new year, or this year, but then as we step into 2022. Speaking of 2022, I remember, uh, so we've been doing um, a series, this is our sixth week 
um, of a series that we've entitled Silent Night, Holy Night, where we're looking at this, this paradox between silence and holiness, uh, peace and significance. Uh, those things can seem antithetical when in reality they are very enmeshed. Uh, they're very interwoven. And we've been looking at that relationship, and we're going to co- conclude with that here today. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about the significance of joy. And what is, what is so interesting to me is when I look at this time last year, if you were like me, there was a sense of hopefulness about 2021. Maybe you can resonate a little bit with that, where you felt like, you know, 2021, it's going to be a reprieve from the catastrophe that was 2020. Raise your hand if you had some thought of that in your, yeah. Raise your hand if that thought has been dashed this year. Yeah. <laughs> this has been, it's been a challenging year. It's been a difficult year to say the least. And I think in, in, in a lot of ways for me and for uh, some of you, um, maybe most of you, it's, it's been more difficult than 2020. Um, and, and thus, it becomes harder for, for us uh, to think of 2022 being that much better. How is it that we can experience joy in the midst of suffering? How can suffering lead us to joy? You would think that at first glance, joy could only be followed by some positivity. You would think that joy can only be followed by experiences, situations, relationships that are nothing but positive. How could joy have any relationship with suffering? Well, we're going to look at that today. Rather, we're going to be reminded of the truth that we find in 1 Peter. 1 Peter, it's right before 2 Peter. It's in the New Testament. That was a joke, by the way. Thank you, Cedric, for laughing at my jokes. I appreciate that. Um, Keeps me going. Uh, 1 Peter's in the New Testament, kind of towards the uh, back of the New Testament. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to 1 Peter. It'll be on the screen, but anytime we can interact physically with the Word of God, I think is, is really um, important. There are Bibles in front of you if you don't have them. Um, certainly you can go to your uh, phone app as well, which is nice because you can highlight those things and save them on your device. Um, but we're going to be looking at different... Uh, um, passages in First Peter, uh, so we'll be kind of be jumping um, back and forth here and there um, in our time together here today. Uh, but we're going to be looking at specifically this relationship between suffering and joy, and how is it that they could coexist? How can the, the uh, quote-unquote lion and the lamb lay down together? Um, whether we like it or not, The Christian life involves momentary suffering of various kinds and at various times. Would you agree? Would you agree? (laughs) Yes. We see this in 1 Peter chapter 4. 
1 Peter chapter 4, starting with verse 12 into 13, where it says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Verse 13, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Wow. Okay, so right off the bat, right off the bat, we, we see evidence of this relationship between suffering and joy. They are interwoven. So today we're going to explore three things. We're going to look at the expected and unavoidable suffering that Christians face. We're going to then look at the call to participate in Christ's sufferings. And then we're going to look at God's redemptive delivery from earthly affliction and his ultimate restoration of the Christian into eternal glory. And so that we're all on the same page. When I use the term Christian, because I understand that in this day and age that can be used very loosely and relatively, Christian is specifically and only relegated for those that believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God, believe that he died on the cross for your sins and for mine, and that he rose from the dead three days later, having defeated death, which was the punishment for our sin, and then provided a way for us to have life everlasting. And the Bible says, we looked at this again on Christmas Eve, that if you believe that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And then you are promised eternal life because of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. That is what we mean when we say, Christian. Now, when 1 Peter was written, obviously it was written quite a long time ago, the church was in its infancy. It was very early on in the church's tenure. And Christianity's atmosphere was significantly treacherous, and it was completely unpredictable. The growing Christian persecution had already begun in Rome and in all parts of the world as Christianity began to continue to grow and to expand. And given this probable backdrop that we find when 1 Peter was first written, the overall purpose then of 1 Peter was to recognize the suffering that Christians were facing at the time And it also emphasized the early Christians' need to remain faithful in the midst of that suffering and to bring comfort for those caught up in those circumstances. But contrary to popular opinion, suffering as a Christian, as we saw in that passage in chapter 4, is not to be thought of as unusual or strange. In that passage, it's telling us that when we experience suffering, the reaction that we have should not be, what in the world? 
So then how is it that we should respond, anticipate suffering? Being surprised by suffering, not anticipating it, could lead us to experience a sense, a sense of overwhelming astonishment then when suffering happens. And this then can result, and this is important, it can result in a misguided belief that God's love and mercy then are absent. If we treat suffering as something that astonishes us or surprises us when we experience it, then we run the risk of then believing that God's presence, his love, and his mercy then are hit and miss. The original audience of 1 Peter would have certainly been experiencing a significant level of persecution at the hands of those bringing harsh harsh treatment and accusation. And, And honestly, there are many of us in this room that can't even begin to imagine the level of persecution that the early Christians faced. All you have to do is go to the history books and see and read firsthand the immense persecution, but we still experience persecution. We still experience suffering as a result of being saved. The author of 1 Peter needed to assure these early Christians that suffering was not something strange, but rather it is to be understood as part of their participation in Christ's own sufferings. It's not something unusual. It's not something strange. It's not something we should be astonished by. But rather, we should understand that suffering is a byproduct, a result of being saved because of our relationship with Christ's own sufferings. Suffering is not something that God does to us. Maybe you've been like me in some situations where you experience suffering of some kind, some shape, some size, and such situation, and you respond by saying, God, why are you doing this to me? Have you done that? It's understandable. But suffering is not something that God does to us. Instead, suffering is a natural result of following the will of God. It is a natural outcome of following God's will. You see, it is the will of God to purify you, to make you holy as he is holy. It isn't God's will to find you and then leave you in the way that he found you. It is to mold you and shape you into the man or woman of God that he desires for you to be. Just like, have you, have anybody here work with clay? Like, I'm not talking about middle school. <laughs> you work with clay? She, she pretty talented, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> If you work with clay, you know you've got to pound the heck out of that. 
to get it to what it is that you need it to be. You need to work with that clay in such a way where you are molding it and shaping it into what you need it and desire it to be. That is what God does for us. There's this pat in this passage that we just read in verses 12 through and 13 of, of chapter 4, when he says, Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal. That's an interesting uh, couple words, fiery ordeal. Um, by the way, my son, uh, his name is Aiden Christopher Sidler. Um, Aiden means fiery one. Christopher means for Christ, uh, so he's fiery one for Christ. But we experience the fiery one part a lot. The author's use of fiery ordeal is an important thing to note here uh, because the translation of this term, it means fire, it means burning. Uh, This term describes removing worthless material from metals that are melted. The term can likewise be attributed to the author's previous use of the word trials in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. If you would turn a couple pages to that passage, chapter 1, verse 6, where it says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of of trials. That word is the same in which he uses in chapter 4, fiery ordeal. This testing through our fiery ordeal, it points to the purpose of suffering and understanding its presence. So the goal of suffering is to refine and purify our faith to refine and purify our faith. 1 Peter chapter 1, the author emphasizes the rejoicing then that we should experience because of the living hope and salvation that results in our eternal inheritance. We're going to read this passage a little bit longer. Uh, Chapter 1, verses 3 through 9 includes verse 6 that we just read, starting with verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish Never spoil, never fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. The verse we just read, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Verse 7. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, 
glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Man, there's a lot there. What is this passage saying? Joy comes not only from a Christian's future eternal glory that we have because of Christ's redemptive work on the cross, but joy also comes for the Christian from knowing the nearness and certainty of God's presence for those of us who are grieving in the present. We are, we are reminded of the eternal glory that we have awaiting for us in eternity in the presence of God for all time that we are guaranteed and promised because of Christ's redemptive work. But we also should experience inexpressible joy because of God's presence now in the present time. Do you? Our present and future joy, it depends on whether we choose, on whether we choose to participate in our present suffering. Christians all over the world are experiencing, what does it say? The same kind of suffering. Ron and Colleen, you guys just got back from Africa. Paul, you were there. Is there suffering going on over there? The author is telling us here in 1 Peter the awareness that Christians all over the world, our brothers and sisters in Christ, all over the world are experiencing the same kind of suffering. You know what, what he's saying, what the author's saying, is that that should actually increase our joy. Why is that? It should increase our joy because suffering, the suffering we face, it is unique to the Christian life. There's a song by Matt Papa, I think I've mentioned it before, but it basically says that if you want a comfy life, stay away from Jesus. <laughs> I gotta tell you, there are many that are experiencing a comfy life that have received Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, but they haven't chosen yet to participate in the sufferings of Christ, and as a result, are living a comfy life. The sufferings endured by the entire family of believers, that is, all those that have given their life to Jesus Christ, it provides evidence that you and I are part of the family. Paul J. Actimer, he underlines this by stating that the Christian suffering 
is not a localized, and this is our tendency to think, it is not an individualized phenomenon. Suffering will naturally occur wherever the Christian community takes its commitment to God seriously. So what does this mean? It means simply that participation in the sufferings of Christ is evidence that you belong to Christ. With this in mind, Dwayne Frederick Watson states that our future joy is not causative for the recipients do not need to suffer to participate in future joy. Rather, it is consequential for Christ's glory was a consequence of his suffering. Meaning that a relationship with Christ means that you and I identify in Christ's death and resurrection and that we identify with his life of suffering. Back to chapter 4, verse 14. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. We need to follow Christ's example. We see this in Philippians chapter 2 and humble ourselves before God even if that humbling involves suffering. But this isn't just doom and gloom. This can sound like it, but it's not. The author of 1 Peter reminds us that the glory we will experience as a result of our participation in Christ's sufferings is unimaginable. The future joy that we will experience being in the presence of the Almighty God, everlasting, everlasting. This future joy should provide comfort in our present life because God's glory is the realm that really counts. And God's glory is the realm that really matters. First Peter chapter 5 Verses 10 and 11 says this. And the God of all grace, grace afforded to us who choose to believe Jesus Christ, to give our lives to him. Grace is unmerited favor. And the God of all grace who called you to his, his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. You and I have been called into Christ's eternal glory, meaning that we will one day fully be restored. How does that sound? The suffering that we endure will only last a little while and will eventually result in everlasting restoration. 
And contrary to popular opinion, suffering does so much for us. The human tendency is to avoid suffering at all costs. Suffering, trial, tribulation, we see that as something to be um, avoiding. Rather, the Bible is replete with truth encouraging us to lean into suffering. To remember that it is essential to the Christian life. Because it increases our perseverance. It increases our endurance. It helps provide within us an understanding of God's sovereignty in our lives. And then it affords us the opportunity to be just like Jesus. When we participate in the sufferings of Christ, we identify with Christ And then we see for ourselves an example to follow. And when we understand the unavoidable nature of participating in Christ's suffering, we fully appreciate its redemptive quality in our lives. Participation in Christ's suffering, it gives us the ability to bless those who bring persecution and harm in our lives. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 says this. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires with, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day he visits us. Our good deeds amidst persecution, our good deeds amidst suffering, bring glory to God. And it could also cause the persecutor, it could also cause those who bring suffering to also join in God's future glory. causing them to give their lives to Jesus Christ. We have inherited a blessing of future glory, you and I. We have also been called to be a blessing to those who persecute us. We should embody joy in the hope of our future glory. And we should speak hope to tell why we hope, to share with a needy and hurting world the good news of a God who is a loving parent to everyone, who wills no one evil, who never ceases to bring good out of pain. That is joy. Joy is not happiness. Joy is not getting what you wanted for Christmas. Joy is remembering the promise of our eternal glory and then remembering the promise of God's presence 
in our present. That is joy. That is the joy to the world. 2022, who knows? Things could get better. Things could get worse. But are we willing to go into the next year responding, reacting, and whether or not 2022 is better or it's worse? Or can we, maybe rather should we, step into this next year with the determination to bring God glory no matter what? to live and experience joy no matter what. To point others to Jesus no matter what. We pray for you. So we pray this together. I'm going to start again with a moment of silence, reflection, stillness. I'll close in prayer, and then we will together courageously enter into a year full of promise and opportunity, raising the banner of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you that you have victoriously overcome sin and death and any evil that we may face today. And because of you, we are overcomers too. We too can have victory. And we can walk strong in your peace. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you are producing in us tremendous endurance in the hard places. That you are building spiritual muscle. And so, Father, we press in close to your presence today. And we ask that no matter what obstacles we're facing as a church, as families, as individuals, that we choose joy.
Keep your words of truth planted firmly within us. Help us, Father, to keep focused on what is pure and what is right. And give us the power to be obedient to your word. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. Couple things, one, so sorry if you came at 10.30, you were on time when we normally do services. Um, today, it was a little bit different, but normally we do have services at 9 and 10.30. That will resume next Sunday. Um, but thank you so much for being uh, with us here today. I hope that you have a wonderful week. I hope that you are intentionally entering into 2022 with God in the forefront of your mind and in your heart. Reflect and pray on his will for your life and your family and this church going into the new year. And I can't wait to see you next year. God bless.